Welcome to Bold Becoming Identity Retooled. This podcast is where we explore the landscape of the immensity of landmines that exist for people who've lost their sense of identity, who've been shaken to the core, and are relearning who they are now that a part of them is lost. It's stories of how people manage this struggle, regain their footing, and the gifts they've discovered along the way. Thanks for tuning in. All right, today we are here on Bold Becoming with Trevor Jones. And he is going to talk about his, well, let's say life, (laughs) living with uh, two TBIs, traumatic traumatic brain injuries. And so one of them he had as a child and then another one in his 20s. And so out of this, he's learned a lot of, he's also a, a medical doctor and he has learned he sort of changed his perspective about injury i guess or at least he might have a more broad perspective than than most of us and we'll hear about that and also he has some principles needed for recovery and and you can talk about those at the end after you've told your story i'm particularly interested in well i'm interested in both but i'm particularly interested in a in a child who already has, you know, your your identity is being formulated. How old were you when you had your first of all? Hi, Trevor. Sorry, terrible <laughs> <It's laughs> interjection. So how old were you when you had your your first traumatic brain injury? Uh, I was thirteen. So you, okay, so you were a teenager. Mm-hmm. So you've already had your like like you super as much as we can when we're thirteen know who you are and then all of a sudden here you are like starting to having to learn to walk and talk again doesn't that do sort of a little whammy on your identity yeah um i i don't think that there's really a a term to classify it like identity or not but it's definitely a a life change i mean you your perspective on things just completely just flips and uh, I don't know if my identity forms when you're 13. I don't know when exactly that exactly forms or ceases to form, but it definitely changed who I was going forward for sure. So mm-hmm. uh, significant well, impact. So yeah. So let's just hear that story. Like, who were yeah. you when you when you were 13 before that accident, and then especially how you dealt with the accident especially from the perspective of identity I'll probably dig deeper if you gloss over things (laughs) yeah no problem um so I mean my family is very involved in sports athletics I was uh I was uh very involved in them as a kid in baseball and football and wrestling and all those things Um, when I was 13, I got a dirt bike for my birthday and I started riding dirt bikes. Um, I don't actually remember what happened, mm-hmm. but um, I went out one day, I was riding and my neighbor found me on the side of the road, coughing up blood and my bike was twisted, which um, I don't know exactly how that can happen. They told me that, you know, the frame being twisted, it signifies two things either a car hit you or you were going extremely fast and uh, 
crashed on the side of the road, which could be the case because there was gravel there. But they said they've never heard of anybody actually survive while twisting the frame of the bike. So anyway, um, whatever the case may be, uh, paramedics came, went in the ambulance, went to the hospital. I slipped into a coma. Um, I had a severe TBI and um, I had a broken back, broken pelvis, lacerated spleen and all kinds of other internal damage. Um, so I was in a coma. Wait, wait, the, before you go on, um, yeah. just for those not um, familiar with TBI, could just like give a little bit of medical definition of traumatic brain injury, because a lot of us might hit our head, but we don't get a traumatic brain injury, right? Yeah, I mean, and and I've heard from another person I interviewed that you can get it without even knowing that you've hit your head. So there, it's like it, it varies. I mean, traumatic brain injuries become kind of like a an envelope uh, umbrella term that everybody's kind of using, and in that they're lumping in like you know concussions or all kinds of you know whatever it may be. So traumatic brain injury, there's you know two types really i mean it can either come from like a blunt trauma where you have like trauma to the you know brain you know parenchyma itself like the tissue itself and where you've got you know a bleed in that area whatever that may be or you can have what they call an axonal injury where it's kind of like a sheer uh injury where like you know if you're uh you know running and then you know somebody hits you at like a an odd angle and you just get flipped you know, suddenly to another direction, that would be kind of like a sheer injury, like a sudden change in direction. And so that happens because like your brain is floating around in your skull and, you know, fluid, cerebral spinal fluid, and it's just kind of hanging out. Well, if you shake real quickly, like it can, you know, ricochet off the sides of your skull, or it can, you know, stretch. And they call that like an axonal injury where like all the axons and fibers that, you know, make up the brain get, you know, basically tensed and stretched a little bit and that can cause damage. So, um, wait, can again, I just put a, can I put in one prevention plug? Sure. This, this is why you're not supposed to shake your babies when you're yeah. ang angry at them because you can cause brain injury because the brain is floating around in there and bang. Yes, that's definitely the case. But yeah, there's a, you know, a variety of different types of brain injuries, whether it can be, you know, whether it's a concussion, whether it's a small bleed, whether it's, you know, an axonal uh, type of injury, uh, or whether it's like a severe like TBI, where you're actually getting trauma that's inducing hemorrhage in the brain tissue. And um, so when you have, you know, a bunch of brain bleeds um it's very similar to having like a stroke so um it gets submerged in blood and you know that can cut off the oxygen supply and can damage the tissue and all kinds of things similar to where like when you have a stroke and you starve a tissue of the you know an area of the brain of oxygen that tissue also dies it's not submerged in blood and basically suffocated by that but it's also but it's deprived of oxygen because the vessel is not allowed to you know supply blood and oxygen to the area so it's uh two different types of like mechanisms but like similar in the their effects and that's not always the case but um that's just kind of a way to think about it 
the brain is like extremely diverse. There's like a um, bunch of different lobes on the brain that make up the lobe, occipital, frontal, parietal, temporal, et cetera. Um, and they all have believed in the past to have like very specific functions, like, you know, occipital would be like, you know, vision and frontal would be like your processing and, you know, those types of issues or those types of things. But now like research is showing that um, the functionality is kind of, you know, yes, it may be, you know, primarily isolated in that aspect of the brain, but it's, it's very diverse. Uh, there's like a, you know, action can be, you know, manifested across a bunch of lobes, even though the primary source may be the one lobe, the effect um, can also, be, you know, register in multiple lobes. So if you damage any part of your brain, you can have an aspect injured that you would figure damage would occur in another type area of the brain, but it's manifesting in another area because the brain is globally just taking over and the function is being distributed throughout it. So it's it's kind of tricky. I mean, the brain is, is such a diverse organ and it's something that like, I don't think anybody's really ever going to be able to fully understand. And that's kind of just the, the data that's coming out and showing uh, on the functionality. Also, um, like, you know, in the past, we'll get into it, but like, you know, people that say, oh, you get injured with a brain injury, your recovery is going to be, you know, you know, it's, it's quantifiable. Like you're going to have, you know, two years of like recovery. And after that, what you have is what you have. You plateau. You, hmm? you plateau. Oh yeah, exactly. And like, that was what they thought, you know, I would say like five, 10 years ago. Um, but like, you know, recent data and like, you know, my, my circumstances, like, uh, itself or showing that like you know recovery continues on and now they're saying that it can possibly go for like 10 plus years uh, I think in the past like the the two-year mark was developed because you know a lot of your recovery you know will come quickly however like that uh, progressive increase over the years is definitely seeable um, as time goes on so um, that's kind of what uh, the whole research is showing on TBIs as uh, time and my understanding of it as this at this point in time. So. Well, that's wonderful news, and hopefully, insurance companies we won't go into this, but hopefully, insurance companies will start to understand that the recovery is really long and it's not just like that first part that needs to. To be uh, there's that's a whole <laughs> other topic so yeah that's that's a that's a can of worms we're we're not here <laughs> to to um talk about the healthcare system <laughs> <laughs> um I, I was a medical social worker for kids receiving specialty medical care and a whole bunch of kids with um cerebral palsy which i guess is a form of traumatic brain injury i, I don't know but but they they anyway it was very sad when they would plateau with their physical therapy and there's like well you know you're not making enough progress fast enough so right. we're just we can't we can't pay for any more right and there's just these kids you know and and of course the parents are going to be 
completely flipping out because because there's and now we're finding there's you know the progress continues as long as you continue to work towards progress right yeah no i mean the recovery is like it really is truly limitless i mean limitless in the fact that it will just keep going i mean there's no there's no way to say like you'll be back to completely what you were before i mean likelihood is that's not the case however like recovery is like it's continuous and will keep going i don't think that really anybody should really set a time limit on themselves and like uh, i mean if anything look at me i mean because like i've you know been hurt as a kid uh and i continued to heal for years on you and end and then being hurt as an adult um there it's like a different type of recovery but it's also continuous and like for instance like i even noticed changes in like my vision in the past like six months i mean it just continues to go forward and i think if you 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 know set expectations that that's not the case i think you're doing yourself uh a very disadvantage so mm -hmm. all right so let's go let's go into the the details of when you were 13 what it was like to you know be that athletic kid doing like super fun stuff i used yeah, to be an athlete and then and then all of a sudden you you can't walk or talk and yeah what, what was, no, what was I, like? definitely for sure. Let me, uh, I'll step back for a second. I'll finish my story. Uh, it's kind of long. So, uh, but yeah, like I was a kid, uh, I crashed. I had like, again, like you said, I had to relearn how to walk and talk and read. And I was in the hospital for quite a while. Uh, and then I was in a hospital bed in my house for like six, eight, six to eight months. And uh, it took me a, a year and a half to where like I could run again. Um, and so when you were in that hospital bed, were you getting home hospital schooling or how were you managing that? Yep. Uh, I had, you know, a bunch of tutors, a um, bunch of healthcare workers that come to the house or whatever it may be. But I mean, really, the vast majority of it um, really fell on kind of my parents. And I think that's kind of the scenario for most people that get injured. Um, you know, the government or, you know, healthcare systems can only provide so much care. It really comes down to, you know, who you have around you and um, who you can really rely on for that kind of support. Uh, so for me, yeah, my, my family was a key part in it. And um, uh, I was able to, you know, through a lot of hard work, kind of get back into school and uh, get back into things and um, worked really hard. Um, for a long time, took a lot of recovery, and then I, I was wait, wait. So be before you go on, so what, what was you? What did it do to your like self esteem, your identity during that time? And also, like, did your friends ever show up? And how did they? Because that's a like major time of, you know, yeah. being somebody who your friends expect sure. you to be, and then all of a sudden you're not, and. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, self-esteem wise, um, so I, I, I lost probably, I'd say like 70, 75% of my vision. Um, so I, I, I couldn't drive anymore. It's not quite the age that you want to lose your inability to drive. Um, so dating was not even a thing. I just, uh, 
I spent most of my time just rehabbing and working on school. I had a lot of stuff to catch up on and get back. Uh, friends, um, yeah, I, uh, you, when you go through, sadly, when you go through like injuries like that, um, you really kind of, I mean, friends kind of fall away. It's not necessarily their fault. I just don't think that anybody necessarily wants to deal with traumatic situations. Uh, not that they don't want to, it's just they don't know how to. So yeah, and when you have something like that happen, you kind of retract into yourself and your social circle definitely diminishes. And like mine became my family. And that's really what I used to uh, go forward and to heal. And that was kind of my social circle was, you know, my family. And that's like one of the major things that, you know, you really need to have if you're going through an injury, not just from um, just a perspective of healing. It's just, you know, it's a mental, physical, social type of thing. And you need that support system in order to uh, recover. Um, so fortunately, I was able to have that. And uh, I used that, uh, graduated from high school, and then I, uh, my best friend was uh, going to um, uh, engineering school uh, here in Colorado, and I didn't really know much about it, but we were, it was small, and because not a lot of people want to go to engineering, which is probably smart, and uh, <laughs> I, uh, so. Wait, why is that smart? Oh, uh, it's not exactly a good time. I didn't really know what I was getting myself into, but uh, so I ended up going to the Colorado School of Mines and uh, I don't know, it was basically like Shawshank Redemption. It was like not exactly a good place, but um, I, I definitely uh, was able to make it through. And then I actually, uh, from my experiences and uh, everything that I went through, I really wanted to go uh, going to medicine. So I uh, went to medical school and um there, so by um, now you you're like what percentage recovered are you because you say you had to learn to walk and talk and read but did it also affect your cognition um no i i mean um i don't know i i don't not that i know of i don't think my cognition was infected i know that I had to, um, my memory was probably mm. the one that I really had to work on the most, um, getting that, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, getting that back to where it used to be. That took a lot of effort. Um, and it still was never back to where it was before. I used to have a really good memory, but now I'd be more like, oh, I gotta write things down or keep a journal or like a planner type of deal spent a lot more effort memorizing things. So that was uh, the case with that. Yeah, I was able to, you know, pick things up pretty quickly. Um, so the, the walking was, you know, that sucked. And then uh, uh, the talking was, you know, I, it's not like I had to relearn completely how to talk in general. It's just um, that like, you know, I had like an aphasia, um, where you're, you'd say things that you didn't really mean to say, or you couldn't quite process like what it is you wanted to say. Um, so that was one instance of it. And then cognitively, I 
I didn't really notice a big difference because like I said before, um, like the areas of your brain, like they really have like a specific function. Like although all areas contribute to that function, like the frontal lobe specifically um, has like a big, you know, has a big effect on that type of cognition and things. So unfortunately, fortunately for me, I didn't really injure that on myself. It was more my occipital lobe is where my severe brain bleed was. And that's mainly for your vision. And that's why like my vision took like a serious hit. And so like relearning how to read, yeah, that was, uh, that was more due to like my vision. Cause like you go from seeing, you know, reading completely normal to like reading from like a, a small box, uh, things become, you know, there's a, there's a learning curve with that. Uh, it doesn't just, you know, manifest like from the get go. So, so the yeah. reading, the learning to read wasn't about cognition. It was about eyesight. Correct. Yeah. 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 And learning to adapt to reading in a different way. Right. Right. Yeah. And then like writing, I mean, it's not like I had to relearn like the completely alphabet and everything again, but when you're writing, um, like for instance, like when I was in the hospital and they'd have me write stuff down, like the, you know, line would drift up. Like I wouldn't be able to like spatially orient myself so that I could write on the screen or write on a piece of paper. Uh, so, and like nothing was legible. Like, I mean, you would, most things in your life, like you, you take for granted um, how your senses really play into you know, what functions you're able to perform. So visually, um, you would be surprised like how that really affects like everything that you do. So um, writing visually, visual is like a huge factor in that. And since it was so severely affected in me, like the writing also was severely affected and it took a long time to really get uh, comfortable with that, so. All right. Now, before you go further, can we go backwards a little bit? I wanted just a little bit more information about how, what it's like to be a teenager and you aren't participating in your regular activities, which with your peers mostly. And I know you didn't have a choice. You were forced into this rehab situation but just really, what does that do? Just a little bit more about what does that do to how you think of yourself and how you, because like when you're a teenager, you may or may not be having like really clear goals about life. You might just be having a good time or doing whatever, or you might be really on some high goal track early on in life. Some people are. But how, how, what was it like to be a 13 year old and completely have these new goals that you were working towards? Um, not exactly sure how to describe that. It, it's hard because, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Um, <laughs> so, like, I didn't have any idea what it was like 
to be, you know, a normal 13 year old or what it was like to be, you know, normal as time went on. It's just kind of like that it happens at that moment. And then you just kind of accept it and you're, you don't know what the future would hold if that event didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So it's really, so like you per se may think like, oh my gosh, like when I was, you think back when you're like 13, if that happened, like, and you know what it would do to your life forward as a teenager, because you have your, you know, memories from being like 16, 17, 18. But for me, like, I only have like further, you know, childhood memories, even below. And so I, I didn't really know what anything would be like uh or should be like you know further on so um I, I never knew you know what it should be like being able to like drive or like you know go out with friends or do stuff I think when something severe happens like that you either there's two types of people like you've got you know a person who just you know hits the wall and they just lay down or you got a person that climbs the wall and so you don't, you can't really focus on anything else other than getting over the wall and just, you know, keep going. And so um, you don't really think about what it is you're losing. You just are trying to stay afloat, really. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, you know, having that uh, happen as probably a kid is, you know, good and bad. Good in the sense that, like, I don't have any know uh preconceived notions on like really what things should be like going forward but bad in the sense that yeah that's a very formative time in your life and like there's a a bunch of things I'm I'm sure I've lost out on or you know relationships or things you form in your mind or who you are as a person my life just went a different way and um you know I don't know exactly what it would be like if it didn't happen so right you're you were living it. Yeah. And then just one more question. I don't know if it's a question, but just from the perspective of being a parent, you know, we're here with our kid and their whole life is ahead of them. And we have all these hopes and dreams and expectations and ideas. And then all of a sudden it's just like, we don't know what comes next. So any idea of how your parents managed through that time? Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, I, I don't know. You'd have to ask them. I know it wasn't easy. I just remember my dad, uh, being like, you know, one day in the hospital, he's like, all right, you guys have one day to me, my mom and my sisters. He's like, you guys have one day to cry after that. We got a lot of work to do. And that was basically it. So, um, you know, I don't think it was easy. Uh, I know that it definitely affected my parents' careers. It affected, you know, in, at one point in time, it affected my relationships with my sisters. Cause like, you know, your parents have got to focus on you a little bit and maybe neglect the other ones a little bit, you know, not tr- purposely, but that's just kind of the way things go sometimes. Um, but yeah, I mean, everything's fine now, but it's, it's definitely not an easy thing. And like you get injured, um something severe like that situation it's not just an individual thing it's a family uh event everybody participates and takes a an action in that uh, type of tragedy so right it, it impacts everybody yeah. we had my family my oldest so i'm number three of four 
And my oldest brother had four funerals planned for him before he was 10 years old. And he's still alive. So he made it. But those, my early years were like being shuttled around to be babysat at my grandma's because my mom was always taking care of my brother. Keeping yeah. him, you know, she kept him alive. Well, the hospital and she kept him alive. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's a it's a really big thing that's that on, on the family, it's not just you know, as, as a child when this stuff happens. I mean it, it it impacts the family even if you're an adult and these things happen, but it but if you're a child, that's a whole different story. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I mean, and that just goes back to what I was saying. It's just uh it's really a an all hands on deck type thing. I mean, it's takes everybody's everybody suffers and everybody's got to help and um you know it just really depends on the infrastructure you have around you how you're able to recover so. yes the infrastructure you have around you <laughs> bringing back memories of this girl that got burned and the family just didn't have it together to like bring her to appointments and just yeah, yeah, the, yeah things can go so differently depending on on your environment it's true yeah absolutely 100 all right so where where were you when i uh veered off to the left uh let's see um so yeah i mean i um i think i was graduated college and then um you that was engineering school you're graduating yeah. mm -hmm. And then uh, I always wanted to go to medical school. So um, I, based on my experiences, so I actually, I went to University of Arizona and then um, worked really hard there. Uh, my uh, little sister actually had uh, melanoma when she was a teenager. So um, my family's all, I got red hair. My family's very fair. So, um, yeah, it's kind of uh, one of the things that comes with it, I guess. So uh, yeah, we had to deal with that. So I was always interested in uh, skin and just that type of things uh, in cancer. So I, uh, I went into dermatology and um, did my, uh, my uh, education in dermatology and my research. And uh, I went to residency and for the derm and then I, uh, this second accident happened uh, when I was 28. I was, uh, was walking home and a girl was texting and she ran a red light and hit me in the crosswalk at 35 miles an hour. So um, yeah, I, uh, I mean, I split my skull, uh, got a second brain injury, a bunch of other, a lot of other physical damages and uh, the process kind of restarted uh just a whole new chapter so um yeah that was that just a, a lot of rehab and um, wait so wait before you go into going through yeah. it when it happened what is that like when you already know how incredible because if it's the first time you don't know what you're up against right. but this is a second time <laughs> Yeah. What's it like to like know what you're up against? Do you think it's better or easier or harder? Uh, I almost think it's, I, uh, you know, I don't know. Um, having had it done and 
not i don't i don't know i couldn't say but i know it's 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 probably good and bad again like it sucks because you know what's coming but at the same time there's also a, ver a variable in it and it and that you don't know you know like i said every type of brain injury is different and so it really you, you know that it's going to be bad but you just don't know what severity because you don't know what types of injuries you've had from this second accident and like how they're going to manifest going forward so um that uh yeah i mean it was it was nice knowing that you know some of the ideas and the principles like i said on things that i use to recover from the first accident i could you know implement those going forward in this second one which i did but you don't really know exactly how the injury is because everything is different and that, yeah it's frightening as all hell and um it's almost a little worse knowing that you know what you're kind of up against because it's you know you know you're not in a good place so it's not like breaking a bone that it, you know is just going to mend back together it, yeah. it's so much more complex oh yeah definitely and then also in your first round you saw other people probably in your in your rehab you would have seen other people with their own tbis with very different outcomes and so you you had a a sneak peek at different you know possibilities yeah i mean i i've seen uh oh as a physician and as you know a patient you know a wide variety of brain injuries and you know injuries and types of deficits that arise from whatever that is and it really depends on you know what it is you've hurt your ability to recover and all the um, you know the functionality that is provided to you within your family and also in society and that allows you to recover from it so um i don't know exactly if there's like a recipe for these types of things but um definitely i i knew what was coming and at least I feared what was coming in, I should say. So, yeah. You know, I, I interviewed um, a man whose wife died of cancer and she was a physician. And she basically said, I only want to know the basics and, and let my husband know all the details. Because once I start thinking about all the details, I'll go down all these different rabbit holes. And all I want to focus on is is what I can do, what's under my power to to do. Yep. And it it worked out really well for them that way. But uh, but a lot of the doctors were like mad at her because they're like, you you need to know. And she's like, no, I don't need to know. You know, he needs to know. And then he will feed me whatever information I need to make whatever decisions I need to make. But I don't need to know the whole picture so sometimes you know knowing the whole picture is is not yeah. in our best interest yeah i mean that's you know just the the statement ignorance is bliss and i'm sure there's <laughs> you know certain situations where that definitely applies and um 
luckily she, you know, had a significant other that could feed her what she needed to know and rely on him. So that's great. And uh, that worked out for her. Unfortunately, like everyone doesn't have that situation. Um, and sometimes, you know, limiting, uh, you know, knowledge sometimes is power. Like it does, it does help. It can hurt, but um, like I was on the opposite end. I wanted to know everything. So uh, obviously not in the first one because I was a child. So like my parents funneled that to me, but like in the, you know, the second one, yeah, I wanted to know everything. I, I wanted to know the statistics. I wanted to know like all the information, but I mean, and that's the thing is like, you know, I'm, you know, living proof is like statistics and all that information at a certain point in time, it really is all irrelevant. It comes down to the person. It comes down to all the circumstances that they have in their life as to where they're going to end up. So. Right. So, so tell me how you, so by, so here you are, this young guy, you've survived, you know, you're, you could have died when you were 13. You could have been like wrecked for life, right? Not everybody gets back to really high functioning after TBIs. And, and you got back to functioning, you made it into an out of undergrad medical school, and then you get run over by a person texting. So what, what at that point, so you had this certain identity, right? Going into that. And then when you were in that second rehab, what was your identity like? Did you, what happened to your identity there? Oh, I was pissed. It was gone. <laughs> I mean, uh, it, you know, it feels like, you know, something is like stripped entirely from you. Yeah, something I've been working on for, you know, a decade, uh, like took like years of research and spent a lot of time in school and everything was like dedicated for going to this one thing and that is stripped from you in like one instance. Yeah, it's, it's horrible. I mean, I was depressed. I was pissed. And like, I, uh, I, yeah, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a good situation for a while. And, um, what does that look like to be stripped of, of that identity? What does it look like? Or what does it feel like? I mean, I, all of the above. Yeah. I mean, what does it look like? I mean, I don't know. I mean, it depends on what the situation is, what identity is being stripped, but it, it feels terrible. It just, you know, you, you don't know where your life's going. You don't know what, you know, what purpose you have. And like, you just, your feeling of self-worth is really just destroyed. And yeah, it's just, it's something that's really difficult to deal with. I mean, I, you know, I had, had to go to therapy. I, you know, I had to really rely on my family and I was, you know, angry for a long time. It took a lot of, a lot of work to get back and to get over those things because uh and that may be a situation where it's worse the second time too because like you know the first time yeah there was all that that same anxiety and you know loss of identity and forming a new identity was also present and then going through that and fighting through it to form it to only to lose it makes you extremely angry and uh yeah, that was the case. And uh, it took a little bit for 
need to get over everything, but uh, with the help of my, you know, family, friends, uh, and uh, people I talk to, like it, it, it happens. And um, now, isn't anger one symptom of traumatic brain injuries? So, do you think that was part of it? Or I mean, can well, you separate it out? It's I don't know. You know, it's funny. I I don't think so. Um, but yes, anger is a symptom of traumatic brain injury. That is one thing. However, anger is also a symptom of getting hit by a car and having your entire life purpose just, you know, voided. So I'm not entirely sure like what that would be, what, or whether which aspect of it was chicken or the egg, right? TBI or just, you know, circumstantial. But um, yeah, I, I was pissed. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's just, uh, you just deal with things as they go. And like, that's just kind of the thing that, you know, I learned from the first accidents, like, you know, you can't really do anything about it. And like, um, you know, I think I've done like a really good job, like not getting too depressed, not like getting too down, mostly because my family wouldn't allow it. And they just kicked me in the butt. But um, yeah. Yeah, it's just, uh, it depends on the situation. But uh, for me, uh, yeah, I think everybody would be angry in that scenario, but I was able to channel it into moving forward. So. Mm -hmm. Facing reality for what it is. And yeah. So when you were stripped of your identity, so when I do these interviews, I hear you know, these terms that, you know, er everything was sort of, I didn't know who I was anymore. And then actually they find out that there's still, and, and a lot of who we are is so connected to what we do, our status roles, like where we fit in the world, our job position, family position stuff. And so when one of those, when that gets ruptured, then people find like, oh, I didn't, everything was stripped. And yet they find that there is still this identity that's in there that they kind of connect with. So did you have that kind of experience where you like, oh my God, you know, I'm all my plans are like out the window and I'm not like who I was planning to be or becoming or already was. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't see how you can avoid that, but I mean, at the end of the day, you just kind of realize that there's, there's more like to the, to you than just the things that you had set for yourself to accomplish. And, um, uh, I, I don't know how to act to coin that so that, you know, other people can, you know, take that um, and implement it in their lives. But it's just something that, you know, you just realize going through something like that is like, you know, I'm, I'm more than this. Like I, you know, yes, I was, you know, I saw that as my identity, but my identity is a lot more enveloping than just, you know, this and this and this. It's just, I'm much deeper than that. And uh, that's just kind of a realization that you, you gain going through, something so traumatic and uh it changes what you see yourself as so. right so what were these different more parts of you that was still there when you were so broken 
that like couldn't be taken away by such a traumatic yeah i mean change. it's just um more just um like the pieces that were there um the big like your your family um like uh is a big one for me like i knew that like i was capable of much more than just you know going to school and doing medicine like i could do other things just knowing that like you have much more potential than just uh, a box that you kind of built for yourself all these years so like I, I just knew that like you know I was much more broad and like I could you know go into much more areas um, as time went on and like my family was a key component of that and like I just um, you know I, I knew that that was that was still there that's interesting because so many people I interview they they do they they get stripped of this essential part that used to make them up, make, make them up. That's probably not proper English. And they don't have access to that anymore. And then they find these other parts and they end up going off on these other directions that they would have never even imagined. No, yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I, I didn't imagine that like, I, I, dabble a little bit in like computers and things because um, I, I have an engineering background so I, I do use some of that um, for uh, my career now um, also I, I never thought that like I would uh, get involved and like talk to people and like counseling and things like that um, you know I, I've I volunteer a lot and go to people with uh, traumatic brain injuries and go and help people and talk to people and I never thought that maybe you know hey there's a, you know, a facet of, you know, careers that I could get into uh, that utilize public speaking and or like, you know, um, getting in front of people and talking about the experiences that I've had. Because uh, one thing I've noticed going through this is the really the lack of information. And that's just mm -hmm. that traumatic brain injuries themselves like specifically not let alone all injuries uh themselves are um there's really a limited uh, amount of knowledge out there about it and i think when people undergo such injuries they really think that you know everything's lost like you know everything in society tells you that oh if you've had tbi like you're kind of screwed like it's just gonna be you know best of luck to you but that's not the case um there's so many things that you're really able to do. And, you know, the, the, the recovery is truly limitless and you just can't, you know, fixate yourself on what you're going to become because you really don't know. So. That's so beautiful. Yeah. To hear that. So is that part of the neuroplasticity that they discovered 20 years ago or so? Yeah. Um, that's, you know, I mean, there's so many factors into it. I, I don't know if it's, there's necessarily uh, the neuroplasticity. Um, like it, it's all, it's what type, like, you know, your anatomy, like what type of person you are, what type of body you have. Yes, how does your brain respond? What's the environment? Like what's all the stimuli that you have, you know? And uh, 
you know, how much effort you put into it. Cause I mean, rehabilitation is not something that happens like overnight. I mean, it's, it's definitely an individual type deal and it's based on how much effort you really want to get into it. And uh, sometimes it's not what the physical therapist does. It's what you do based on what they teach you to do. Yeah. I mean, exactly. I mean, that, and that's one of the things that um, I tell everybody is like, you know, physical therapy, I mean, like you cannot medicine in general, you can't rely on medicine in general to fix you, to heal you, whatever. I mean, sure. They can give you a pill and you can take the pill. Like they can, you know, do a surgery on you or whatever. But once you leave the hospital, which is, you know, going to happen unless, you know, something unexpected happens, it's on you. I mean, you've got to really take this upon yourself and, physical therapy, doctors, whatever, they're going to see you for what, half an hour, maybe. I mean, the 99% of the rest of the time is up to you. And if you don't really take it on yourself to follow what you're given and to seek knowledge out yourself, your recovery is going to be stunted. And that's going to be solely uh, compromised by, you know, your ability to impart effort on, on it. So um, it really comes down to you. And uh, that's really the biggest um, factor in anybody's recovery. Mm -hmm. Let's see how we're doing on time. So we're getting towards moving on. What else do you want to say about your your story? Like um, you, you okay? So you went in. You're 28, and you're like pissed because here you are again. So then, <laughs> what happened? Um, yeah, I mean, upset, uh, had to do a lot of rehab again, uh, took a year off from residency to do that, uh, went back to residency, I ended up losing my depth perception, and my uh, fine, a little bit of my fine motor skills in my hand. And so like I, I did most surgery and I did surgery. So uh, you kind of require depth perception and motor skills. So um, I uh, found that, you know, medicine was really not going to be for me because like I spent my whole career trying to do that one aspect. And so um, I... Wait, you were trying to do surgery? I thought you went into dermatology. That yeah, involves surgery. surgery. It's, it's a microsurgery of dermatology. Uh, e even for dermatology itself, like my vision again, was impacted such that like visually looking at, you know, you know, skin lesions and things that was impacted, but also mm -hmm. like, you know, most surgery, which is what I was doing is like cutting skin cancer off. Like, you know, if you have melanoma on your face, you really want to conserve as much of your skin as you can. So uh, they really cut off small pieces, look at it under the microscope, you know, make sure there's no like, you know, cancer cells. And so they can remove the smallest amount of tissue possible. So that's what I was training for. And that's what I was doing. But uh, yeah, with the deficits that I suffered again, uh, that really wasn't an option. So um, for me, yeah, medicine just wasn't, uh, I was just all very jaded on the whole medical profession as well. And that's a whole nother podcast session on that. But uh, yeah, I just found that um, my, uh, pursuits would be better spent elsewhere um 
Yeah. Well, first of all, you couldn't do what you were trying to do, right? Right. Well, yeah. And the biggest thing is, is like my my injuries limited me from being able to get uh, malpractice insurance. Um, so um, that's kind of a, a problem. So uh, yeah, I just uh, financially, it just wasn't worth going into medicine because sadly in today's society, it's not whether you get sued, it's if you, when you get sued. Um, so uh, I just, it wasn't feasible for me. So, hmm. so I lost my career as a medical social worker overnight from a hand injury from taking notes, repetitive stress injury. And it's really, uh, it's really a big deal because all of a sudden, how do you answer that question? What do you do? Yeah. Did you have that? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, what do you do? Like, I mean, I spent, like, like you said, my whole identity was being a doctor. Like that's what I've done forever. And then if you say to people like, oh, well, I, I mean, I am a doctor. So if I say to them, well, yeah, I'm a doctor. They'll be like, well, what's your practice? Or like, what's your specialty? Oh, well, you know, it is this. Oh, where do you work? Well, I, I don't anymore. It just goes into a long story. I, I know exactly. Yeah. Like as soon as I say I'm on disability, they look at me and they're like, how can you be on disability? You're walking, you're not, you don't have a cane. And, and people don't see these invisible, well, obviously they don't see the invisible disabilities and they don't, it's just a lot of interrogation and judgment. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. I, um, I don't know. That's that's been a challenging one. I uh, I've you know resorted sometimes. I'm like, oh, I don't mention that. But then, you know, over time, I'm just like, you know, I I am a doctor. I I don't mind telling people my story, and you just end up after you get over things, wearing it more as a badge of courage. And um, uh, I don't mind sharing my story at all. So, hence why we're talking. So. Right. Well, while we wrap it up, before you tell us some of these principles necessary for recovery and your different perspectives on injury or whatever takeaways um, and, and what you're doing now, can you give me like a snapshot of, well, we're going to have more than three, like who you were when you were 13 before your first injury, who you were between your first and second injury and who you are now so like i mean before the first injury i mean just uh you know naive kid um just uh i just i don't know just say a typical kid uh after that injury uh scared you know just a, a really terrified uh kid uh not knowing where you're going and um you know finding uh your identity in uh, academics and uh from that medicine um after the second injury um i i don't know i guess describe myself as like really the same person um i just think that you're my you know, goals and uh, 
you know, belief system is just kind of altered a bit into where like I really understand kind of like what's more important in my life. And uh, I just think that you're, you, you have the same identity. I just think that there's been a, a few uh, upgrades to it um, going forward, so. I love that, upgrades. Yeah. But, so, um, yeah, go ahead. So what is it that you're doing now and what are some, some takeaways that you wanna leave us with? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, now, I mean, I just, uh, I, I do some my IT work on the side um, and uh, I am, I do a little bit of coaching. Um, I like to uh, help people that are going through these uh, traumatic incidents and, and um, just because like I have such a unique perspective and like I, as a medical you know professional and then also as a patient myself, uh, I, can, I can really help people uh, come through uh, severe injuries or any types of uh, you know traumas and conflicts in their life, um, because I have such a unique perspective and uh, uh, understanding of kind of different uh, angles and situations. Um, principles that like I would give. Um, let's see, I've, I've jotted down a few. I mean, if I'm talking about uh, you know injuries themselves. I think uh, it really the big one of the big ones is like your family infrastructure. Uh, I think that's really important. Uh, it's just understanding that. The second is like you need stimulation. So hold on, hold on. So let's let's say loud and clear so that everybody listening to this, if you ever have a family member, they are counting on you. That's right. Yeah, and they and they they will probably not want to ask for all the help that they need. And so it's important for you to just show up and give them stuff. Of course, you yeah. don't want to, you don't want to, you don't want to like act like they can't do things. It's a fine line. But the important thing is, is that a lot of people, um, they don't want to ask for help. And yet they really, really need help. Yeah, no, I mean, um, that's definitely a thing uh, you, you feel ashamed needing things or, you know, seeing uh, that you're not able to do what you used to be able to and you're more reliant on those around you. Um, and, you know, as a person that's providing the care, you got to recognize that. But then also, you know, like you said, walk the line of not overstepping your bounds and make them feel dependent, but also, but also being able to provide what they need. Um, yeah, like I was saying, that's there's like a, you know, you've got to stay stimulated and it's really a mental, physical, and also, um, you know, there's like spiritual stimulation, however you want to uh, go about doing that. But you really just need to um, really maintain that and not become a vegetable and like uh, retreat into yourself and not, uh, you know, stay engaged in the world around you. Um, and uh, the other thing is, is like, um, you, rehab is just you know if you get injured you're going to get like rehab um you know whether it's you know social or mental or whatever uh that is provided to you from insurance companies or you know the the work around you but it's really just um it's, it's meant as an augmentation and like really you just need to take it upon yourself to um 
to really instill the the goals in yourself and go about um, achieving those by doing whatever it is you need to do and just use uh, rehab is really just a way to propel those and um, fulfill those goals in your life. And uh, it, the people rely too much on like complete re rehab services and really just think that those are there just to make them whole. And they're not, they're really just there to guide you. And you just need to use those strictly as a guide, but then take upon yourself, um, you know, the uh, initiative to really uh, direct yourself to achieve those goals. So um, it's sort of like the, the rehab is the scaffolding, but you're yeah. the one who has to be up there painting or, you know, yeah, adding, right. adding the pieces of wood and exactly great. Analogy. Rehab doesn't put the house back together. Yeah, it no, just... it, it, it's, it's, it's merely just the roadmap or the rubric for you. You're the one that's going to have to build it. And uh, to rely on that is just, um, it's not to your advantage. Um, you really got to take it upon yourself. Um, the other thing I really wanted to like stress, and this is more of a, a personal thing, and then also something that I've seen um, in all the people that I've taken care of or, you know, associated with through this injury, and that's the, um, the importance of sleep. Um, mm. I really think that uh, it's something that people don't really understand, you know, oh, I'll just I don't need sleep. I'll drink coffee or, you know, I'm not used to, I'm, I'm not really a big sleeper and like, it's not a big deal. When you're recovering from an injury, it's way more important than you think. It's more like you're being reverted back to being an infant. Like you need sleep more than anything. Mm -hmm. um, so it's hard with like busy lives and work schedules and all the, all the things that go on in our lives. But I think to neglecting that is definitely detrimental to um your recovery in your life and you don't um, notice it like when you miss a meal you kind of notice it but when you miss sleep especially since so many people do live off of caffeine they they just don't it, you know they don't notice it's not as noticeable right but it, yeah. it's no, cumulatively sure. catching up with you yeah no you you don't notice it and you don't really realize how big of an impact that is on your functionality in life and then also your healing from an injury. Um, another huge point is like um, in, in like going through an injury like this, um, it, it's depression, but like, you know, that's not an obvious thing. I mean, people really don't realize that they're depressed and um, it's something that, you know, sneaks up on you if you're not really careful. And that comes back to the infrastructure that I have is like, Hopefully you have people around you or, you know, people that can like, you know, be able to recognize, you know, your demeanor and like maybe you're falling into like kind of like a depressed state and see that it's really having an effect on your life uh, because getting that under control is, is extremely important. Now, and, how can um, people notice that? Um, it's, what, are, what are some of the signs that are going to tell them that oh this guy's on his way to losing it with depression yeah um self-recognition of depression it's tough i mean sometimes people will be able to you know recognize that like oh hey i'm not engaging with people as much i'm really not 
doing things that I used to do. I'm not taking interest in things that I used to, um, or I'm having, you know, terrible thoughts about, you know, you know, suicide or whatever it is. But um, a lot of times it really falls on, you know, people that are around you or people that can recognize that, hey, you know, this guy's not, you know, yeah, you went through something that's, you know, traumatic. And like, I understand that, you know, you may not be feeling the same way you used to be, but, you know, you seem depressed. So I think that um, it, there's like definitely a, a second, third party kind of, you know, awareness of it is really important. And because uh, sometimes um, for the individual to recognize it solely is it's really hard. Uh, and for myself, I mean, I, I've been depressed and like I've not been able to really, you know, grasp that myself. You know, it takes being told from, you know, other people around you that that may be the case. So they see that you're not engaged the, the way you used to be. Correct. Things yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah no, that's uh, definitely, um, definitely the instance. And uh, like one of the last things that like I really... I, I want people to understand whoever's listening to this is that like you've got to like maintain hope and like that sounds stupid and so ridiculous but it really is a big thing because not only is like your perspective and outlook on things um, going to impact your recovery if you've got like a, a hopeful and positive attitude but knowing that you know recovery truly does go on for years on end like if that won't happen if you limit yourself by thinking that you're done like you've got to maintain hope that like things will keep getting better because like once you lose that you know in your brain um you you will stop progressing it's really a key component is like keeping that alive um and if there's any example to that is like i mean i've from the first injury that i've had you know i had youth on my side and you know i was able to recover you know profoundly um but like that recovery wasn't just you know a couple years that was decades and from the second injury yeah i was older so the recovery is different um, you know, I don't have youth as much on my side, but again, that is continuous. And like, if you can't maintain that hope that that recovery will continue to go, uh, you really will limit the, uh, you know, the outcome. And uh, it's really will affect your mindset going forward if you don't keep that hope. So I just really think that's a really key factor in any type of recovery. That's super powerful. And that's under our control. And, our, and we can, that's, we choose every day to be hopeful or to give up hope. Um, but one of the important things is, is that the doctors, they give prognoses and whatever they say is just statistical. And so it, it, you know, it's, it's hard to hear these kind of things and, and keep hope sometimes. And then at the same time, when you're, you're receiving your rehab therapy, 
And then they stop because insurance decides that you've had enough and you're not making fast enough progress and or things, you know, they can't measure your progress, stuff like that. Those are two, two ways that the hope can be thwarted. And so it's really important to just remember that just because therapy stops, it doesn't mean you stop rehabbing. No, no, it's something that's got to be lifelong. It's got to be continuous. Um, and yeah, for instance, I mean, you know, statistics, if I were to look at those, I would not be where I was at um, or where I am currently. When I first got hurt, uh, when the first time, um, my parents were told all I was going to amount to was a Walmart greeter. Um, oh. Yeah, so like my parents actually remember that, like that them saying that that could probably be a profession that I could handle. Um, but I mean, if you really listen to those things, I mean, I'm sure that, you know, people made those statements to you. They're probably not coming from a bad place. Uh, they're just telling you, you know, what their experience is and what they understand or have learned. But what I'm here to say is that that is not the case. I mean, recovery, um, you know, where you are uh, down the road is completely independent of statistics and things. It's really dependent on the person. And that's not something that anybody can quantify. And that's not something that you can really, um, you know, understand at this point in time. It's up to you and it's going to go as it's going to continue to progress as time goes. And if you lose sight of that, you're only limiting yourself. Wow. So here we have your parents were told you were 13 or 14 or so, and they were told that the most that they could count on for you is to be able to go outside of the house to Walmart and greet people. And you, nice. yeah. you made it to medical, you made it to undergrad, became an engineer, you went, you became a doctor, a medical doctor. And it's everybody's, everybody's trajectory is going to be impacted on by so many different things that whatever they say, when you're being released back to the home, to the community, is just like, not even the tip of the iceberg of potential. Oh, yeah. I mean, but, it, but, it, but it's reality for some people. And so they you know, they say that because that yeah. is, it, it could be reality, but it's just so much not the whole picture. Right. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that, like, you know, if you stay positive, maintain hope, have a good outlook, you'll completely recover. I mean, that's, I mean, not realistic. You have to take the action, too. Right. Yeah, you got to do that. Um, but the thing is, it's like, if you don't, uh, take the action and you don't have the, the hope and the outlook that you know you know things will continue to improve you will just stagnate and you won't reach what potential you know is out there that you could possibly be at and that's not saying that again you'll make a you know outstanding full recovery um like in my instance like i, I was very lucky um i'm like the, the luckiest unlucky person there is but, um, you know, it's not, it's, 
there's not like a, a formula for this. So if you listen to doctors and listen to statistics, like you're only going to end up limiting yourself. So. Mm -hmm. Words from a medical doctor himself. <laughs> so. Well, thank you so much, Trevor. This has been absolutely fascinating. I hope I didn't like put you on the spot. Was there anything that you loved about the, the interview or the insight that you got from it? Um, no, I, I mean, I just, I love the opportunity to just share my story. I really think that, um, you know, uh, I have a wide range of experiences and knowledge that I can give to people to help overcome, you know, circumstances that they're in. And, uh, I like the opportunity to share that and hopefully, uh, someday it'll, you know, reach, uh, a wide audience and um i uh i have like a, a website uh, yeah how can people find you yeah uh trevorjonesspeaks.com uh it's pretty easy um and you can uh send me a message on there um for like maybe you know like a coaching session or maybe any speaking engagements that you uh might need um be more than happy to help what type and, of people um hire you as a speaker or where do you give who, who wants you to speak in front of them what type of groups um so people can make referrals oh yeah um just uh like uh right now just uh more health or tbi organizations or like you know support groups and things like that um but i would love the chance to speak at any like you know motivational seminars or company things or you know whatever it is i i think that I have, uh, as again, as a physician and a patient from, you know, being injured as a child and adult and, you know, I have a wide range of uh, experiences and uh, a unique outlook that I think would be really beneficial to share with anybody that's willing to listen. So Right. And it's not just about health and TBI, because this this whole idea of motivation and hope and oh, yeah. determination that that sort of is universal yeah oh yeah exactly and uh i really think that um you know yeah i i mean sure i could go give speeches to you know head injury communities but um like i would love to give speeches to any type of uh, group just uh you know recovery from any type of injury how big or small uh really takes a, a certain mindset and a certain you know, a certain outlook that I think that I can provide through my unique experiences. And I would love to share that. And given that opportunity would be great. All right. You've all heard it. Think of where where he could speak and, and give him a jingle. Yeah, and like uh, I also have um, I do uh, a lot of coaching. So, um, so if people have uh, you know, circumstances in their life that they need somebody to uh, help coach them through um, mental, physical, whatever aspect it is. Um, definitely more than willing to be a part of that and help them through that journey. Perfect. Well, this has been absolutely fascinating. And thank you so much, Trevor. Thank you very much, Julie. And uh, yeah, thank you for having me on your podcast. My pleasure. And this has been Julie Brown on Bold Becoming. Hey there. 
the value that you got from this today, take it into your heart. Add value to it in your own life by putting it into practice and growing it to be part of your life, your daily habits, the takeaways that you got from this. Words and thoughts only take us so far. It's implementing on those words and thoughts that will change your life. Ideas are just ideas. Taking action on ideas is where growth happens and freedom emerges from growth. Freedom from our past invisible binding. We're here to grow and release ourselves from our past constraints. With awareness, intention, and through taking action on new choices, we evolve. In this process, we exalt our pain and suffering into wisdom that empowers us. We all have the ability to transform and become that person we yearn to be. If today's episode added value to your life, please share it with others. And make sure to subscribe to Bold Becoming Identity Retooled. And if you might, take a minute right now and leave a review so that others can find out about this podcast. If you'd like to contact me for one-on-one coaching or to get on the wait list for my Tough Stories workshop, send me an email and we'll be in touch. Be sure to check out our free Facebook group of Bold Becomers. The link's in the show notes.